0: The Astronomy Podcast, for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Hello, that is us
1: and me. I'm Dr. (laughs) Moya (laughs) McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and uh, a good friend to the universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You are. Uh, The universe has been in my thoughts a lot lately, especially... Uh, with all the talk of the ocean and the deep dark ocean that's been going on and I'm like space the universe now is your time
0: (laughs) you know people are finally (laughs) recognizing that there are things scarier than you that is so true that has been what it's felt like okay I'm Corinne Mm -hmm. Caputo writer funny person also deeply (laughs) afraid of the sea and now less so afraid of the universe
1: yay (laughs) it got me on board Um, maybe maybe in a in a like a decade or something, you'll do a podcast that's like pale blue
0: oceans. Yes. Wait, Misha had a funny pitch for this. Oh yeah, they somewhere did. in the slack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but one I left. One day,
1: Misha, Corinne, Corinne can get the PhD this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: just like scared the whole time I'm in school. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but uh, but speaking of seas, where are we?
0: Okay, we are right on the water, I'm pretty sure. We are at the Sydney Opera House in Australia, down under, which is exactly how they say it. I (laughs) thought you were Australian for a second. Shocked you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled that we're here because we're going to be talking about constellations in the southern hemisphere. (laughs) <laughs> that was the least excited you could have sounded about that. That is. But yes. I wanted to get it right. I was more nervous about getting it right than I was about <laughs> being excited. But we are excited.
1: We have been wanting to do a Constellations episode for a long time, and it is morphed Uh, formats, but we kept putting it off and off because it's a big topic. Yes. And we wanted to do it justice. But we are doing our first two-parter episode where the first part, this one, is going to be about constellations in the southern hemisphere uh, or the southern celestial sphere. And then next week's episode, the second part, will be about stuff in the northern hemisphere. So uh, we're talking about
0: stars and cool stuff. I'm thrilled to do a sequel. It makes it feel Hmm. like... um, like the marvel universe there's companion episodes you need to know some to know others (laughs) we're gonna get that complicated
1: (laughs) it also feels
0: very um put together
1: to do Mm -hmm. like a a two-parter and to do a sequel like yeah yeah everyone we've got our (laughs) shit together (laughs) we'll let you be the judge Uh, sometimes yeah thanks so before we get into talking about the specific constellations in the Southern Hemisphere, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about constellations in general. Just some uh, a few facts and figures that you might find useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, Corinne, do you do you know how many stars are visible in the night sky? Like how, how many oh you could God. go out and see without binoculars or a telescope?
0: Oh, God. That's a rough idea. I don't know. Sometimes you look up and you see like what feels like thousands. And mm-hmm. then sometimes you see three. So (laughs) it really depends on where you are. (laughs) It's
1: true. Yeah, uh, here in New York City last night, I went out and I could see five. Okay. Um, I saw Arcturus, which we are not going to be talking about until next week because it's in the Northern Hemisphere. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's about, it's thousands. We can see about 5,000 stars across the entire globe without the help of some device like a telescope or binoculars. And for thousands of years different cultures around the world have looked at those stars, those uh, visible stars, and grouped them together in asterisms or constellations, and they would tell stories about them that would get passed on from generation to generation. But that really is just a a tiny fraction of the number of stars that are really there. Yeah, Uh, You know, there are hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way alone, but most of them are too far away or too dim for us to see. We've talked about this in previous episodes. The The most common type of star is uh, a type of star that we can't see any of. Corinne, um, do you remember what type of star that is? I'm trying to remember. I don't. Do you remember what color it is? Red? Red, yeah. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Uh, so like 75% of the stars are these red dwarfs and we can't see any of them with our naked eye. So
0: that's um, just a tiny fraction. yeah, a completely random question has popped into my brain. And if you don't know the answer, we can cut this. But can a nocturnal animal like see more stars than humans? That's a great question.
1: Yeah, uh, there are animals that have different sensitivities in their eyes, or they're they're sensitive to different types of uh, wavelengths, but some animals can see uh, different stuff in the sky than we can. Whoa. I did this one homework problem in college where we were figuring out what is the most distant star that a human could see and that's based on the luminosity or the brightness of the star so essentially how many photons is this star sending out Mm -hmm. every second and there's like a threshold of the number of photons your eye has to receive before it's like oh yes i see something Mm -hmm. and different animals would have like a, a lower threshold where we would need to see like 10 photons per millisecond to see something, they might only need to see a couple. That's
0: so cool. That's so funny that I really imagine myself as like this king of the world where like everything (laughs) is experiencing the sky the way I am. So that's very humbling Mm. and very cool that they might see better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You bring up an excellent point. I'm glad that random question popped into your head because I often talk about space as this universal thing literally universal thing Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the only universal thing that everyone experiences and i talk about my knowledge of space giving me a great connection to everyone else on the planet but um it is only humans who see space in in this way like uh, your your cat sees something different dogs like all animals will see something different some fish don't even know the sky exists
0: (gasps) oh my god that's so true Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: maybe for the best Probably. (laughs) All right. uh, So I have been talking about the stars. I've been talking about these uh, stellar constellations or asterisms, the shapes that people make by connecting the bright points of light in the sky. But there have been plenty of cultures around the world who talk about dark constellations in their folklore. And these dark constellations aren't made by connecting the stellar dots. They're made by looking at the big voids, like the big, essentially, clouds of of dust that are uh, between us and some other bright objects. And it's interesting, when you study all of the cultures that have dark constellations, most of them are in the southern hemisphere. And I'll link to a a paper that compares the different dark constellations across the world uh, in the the research notes for this episode if you join our patreon but most of them are in the southern hemisphere so there's the inca and in chile the Tswana zulu and other groups in southern africa the tonga and maori and other groups around australia in like the southern uh, pacific and i think the reason that you see that clump of dark constellations in the southern hemisphere is because they have a better view of the entire milky way with its dusty voids and those big gas clouds that like block our light and that is because our solar system our sun is ever so slightly above the galactic midplane so we we are above and the southern hemisphere can more easily look down at the rest of the milky way
0: cool yeah the galactic midplane. Have never heard that before. <laughs> Sounds very sci-fi. I love
1: it. <laughs> it is very sci-fi. Um, because the, the Milky Way is not perfectly flat, although we talk about it as a two-dimensional disk a lot of the times, but it does have some thickness. And our solar system is kind of in the middle, but not exactly in the middle. And so the mm-hmm. southern hemisphere gets a better view. Lucky. Uh, I cannot do this episode without talking about one of my biggest casual pet peeves <laughs> um in in conversation is the tell me the gossip <laughs> <laughs> i often get annoyed when people conflate asterisms and constellations okay an asterism is that shape. It's the connect the dot shape that a lot of people think of when they think of a constellation. It's the shape of Orion, the, the hunter that I have tattooed on my body. It is the, the shape of the, the Big Dipper that looks like a ladle. That's an asterism. In modern times, constellations are regions of the sky. They are sections of the sky that one big, like formal body has decided are how we're going to split up the the night sky. That formal body is the International Astronomical Union, uh, the IAU, and we've talked about them before, but they're going to come up a lot in these episodes on the constellations because they decided what the constellations were. So I'm going to be very careful about distinguishing asterisms from constellations, uh, but historically, There has not been much of a distinction because the official constellations, these regions, were only decided in the last century. Okay. Um, So the IAU was founded in 1919. They had their first general assembly meeting in Rome in 1922. It took them a few years to organize Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and at that meeting the IAU's commission on notations and units so like this little uh, subgroup within the IAU decided like they were given control over notations and units and they agreed on a list of 88 constellations that would cover the entire night sky. That was in 1922. And it wasn't until 1928 that the borders of those constellations were ratified. The borders were proposed or drafted by a man named Eugene Delport. He was from Brussels, and so I'm probably not pronouncing that Well, but Eugene (laughs) Delport drafted the boundaries of these 88 regions, and then they were approved by the IAU in their 1928 General Assembly meeting in
0: Leiden. So I'm still, the difference between an asterism and a constellation is making me think that what I typically have used the word constellation for is actually asterism.
1: Yeah, but there is a lot of overlap. Like there is an Orion Mm -hmm. asterism, but there is also an Orion constellation, which is this big blocky region in which you can find very prominently the Orion asterism. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Ooh, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, That does lead to some miscommunication. It leads to some misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, Several years ago, one of my former rugby teammates wanted to get a tattoo of the the Argonauts constellation, Jason and the Argonauts. Mm -hmm. And she wanted my help because she couldn't find online uh, a very consistent picture of this constellation. And so some would show uh, different stars being included in the constellation. And so she asked for my help. And I then had to tell her that Jason and the Argonauts is not an official constellation of the IAU. It is a historical asterism that many people have uh, in the past looked at, but Mm -hmm. you're not going to find a consistent grouping of stars because it doesn't officially exist. So it's one where you either have to... take artistic license or, or, like, choose which stars you're going to include.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize there was so much, like, formality and also, I don't know, decision making in, in which ones we recognize. Yeah. The
1: constellations that we have today were chosen by a bunch of probably, mo- almost certainly, mostly white men. White men? men? Yep. <laughs> um, a century <laughs> They've ago. They've done it again. Yeah, they did it again. <laughs> um, but they... You know these constellations, and we've talked about this before, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the next episode, but these constellations defined by white men in the IAU have been around for thousands of years. Different cultures saw and grouped them differently and we now use the constellations as a convenient tool to talk about different parts of the sky. Mm -hmm. So just because there are official designations doesn't mean that you, like, have to use them for anything other than the official astronomy business of talking about a location in the sky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Sure. So should we talk about the constellations? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, i I didn't want this episode to just be a list of all the constellations, but I do want to name at least all of the of the constellations. So we're we're going to have a, a moment of listing. Um, and Corinne and I will like just chat. We'll have we'll react to the names of these. Uh, So today we're talking about the Southern Hemisphere. There are 52 different constellations officially assigned to the Southern Hemisphere because they're not split evenly. That's, I think, maybe one of the first lessons I want to give you. These uh, regions, these different uh, boxes that make up the constellations, they are not the same size. They are not the same shape. They are kind of like the states in, in the U.S. They're just made up. Bordered regions.
0: <laughs> I'm familiar with that. Cool. Yeah, you are. You are <laughs> the gerrymandering um, he- of the of the night
1: sky. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. N- that sentence just made me think of like a far future, or even like a Star Trek or Star Wars universe where uh, there are aliens spread throughout space. And like, imagine if we were drawing <laughs> those. <laughs>
0: like oh, districts, no. those voting we would districts. We'd be so bad at that. We'd be so
1: bad at it. Like, yeah, we would absolutely gerrymander the night sky. Or
0: maybe, like, it depends what side you're on. Because to ger- to some gerrymandering is working perfectly. Mm-hmm.
1: Also, <laughs> space is three dimensional while the surface of the planet is not, and so it. Like our, <laughs> how we would draw our districts would look different <laughs> from a different so planet. So weird.
0: From an exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay, so there are fifty-two southern constellations, and the it's convenient to group them up into when you might see them easily in the night sky, and so uh, they've been split up into quadrants. And the first quadrant is best viewed from October to January. Mm-hmm. So, in the southern hemisphere, from October to January, you will see Calum, the engraving tool. Uh, okay,
0: <laughs> a pen, a pen. Yes. So there. It's like, is it a straight line? <laughs> I, I love that this is this is the
1: first one um, that we're talking about. It, it these constellations, the asterisms in these constellations, they do not look like what they're supposed to be.
0: No, I remember thinking that um, when I was working at the Space Center, there was a constellations class for, like, kindergartners, really little kids. Mm. It was so cute. But a lot of it was, like, playing some connect-the-dot activities and whatever. And I remember being, you really are using your imagination once you take the leap (laughs) from, like... A connect the dot thing to the sky. It's like looking at clouds, essentially, yes. and being like, "I see a lizard or whatever." I think it's worse than clouds. It's way worse. Yeah, or or maybe <laughs> it's, it's more.
1: It's more creative than clouds because you you can just make that's up. That's a better way to put it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put it.
1: Mm-hmm. So a bunch of these constellations are supposed to be animals. A bunch of them are are tools. Um, a bunch of them are from mythology, and so we're, it's a it's a whole mix. So Calum, the engraving tool, Cetus. The sea monster,
0: specifically a whale-shaped sea monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. For a long time, we thought whales are monsters.
1: hmm I mean, they're big and, and strong <laughs> and scary. And they look like monsters. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I, that does imply that there are other types of sea monsters in the night yes. sky. Because it's sea monster, yes. parentheses, whale. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Columba. The Dove. Columba the Dove. I think of doves as graceful, and I don't know if I think the name Columba is. But that's that's because of Columbus. And he yes. was not
1: the first to have that name. You're right. You're so mm-hmm. right. Yeah, he just spoiled its reputation. <laughs> exactly. And now doves mm-hmm. have to be called just doves. <laughs> uh, Dorado <laughs> the Swordfish.
0: Okay. Love it. That has personality. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Eridonus the River. I'm picturing a man. Who oh. is nice and in charge and like maybe I have to answer a riddle or something to get across. Oh, fascinating.
1: Okay, so you're <laughs> picturing a person standing by the river. Yeah, guarding it. Love that. Fornax, the furnace.
0: Love that one. Mm-hmm.
1: Big fan. <laughs> Horologium, the clock.
0: Huh. Uh, I like it. That makes me think that there's some Latin or something behind that name that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, We're not going to talk about this one later, so I'll say this one was
1: designed or designated by a French person who uh, many of the tool constellations were designed by this French person. And this one was not like a clock. It was more of a pendulum-keeping time, and oh, okay. then the name was Latinized later um, when okay. Okay, it was put into the, the official list. Horologium. Hydrus, the water snake. Love that. Okay, um, I can see that. So, so remember, there's a hydrus. Later, there will be one that sounds similar, but it's not the same. There's lepus, the hare, which is great. That is cute. Or, it's L-E-P-U-S. <laughs> lepus, the hare. There's lepus. lepus. There's mensa. The mountain table. Which is very similar to like mountain Mesa. Or, yeah, it's like it's like the, the plateau, the the table mountain. hmm Um mm-hmm. Phoenix.
0: The Phoenix, I assume. That's
1: just a <laughs> phoenix.
0: Mm-hmm. Pictor, the easel.
1: Like the artist's oh, easel. Like picture. Mm-hmm. Got it. <laughs> Reticulum, the net.
0: Sounds like a disease. Yeah.
1: And then uh, sculptor, which is just a, a sculptor. Okay. One who sculpts. Ma- yeah,
0: it's giving sculptor, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, hey, it's Dr. Moya, and welcome to this episode's mid-break. Corinne is grabbing some snacks from the concession stand, and I really think she wants to see if they actually have barbecued shrimp available, so I figured now is a good time to share some messages with you. That first message is, of course, a big old thank you to the people who support us on Patreon with their money every month. Especially thank you to our Sun-like stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Finn, and Peyton. Y'all are (laughs) the—you're the OGs. (laughs) You're the— you're the G-type stars that make it possible for us to continue making this podcast, so thank you. You, too, can support us. You can hear your name on the pod. You can even make it to our patron star chart for about $1 per episode. You can find that star chart, the Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or you can go right to patreon.com palebluepod. If you can't support us financially, that's totally fine. That is a great way to help us make the show, but that is not the best way to help us make the show grow. So if you want to help us out, share the show with your friends. Share it with your family. Make it so that we have more people listening to us. Uh, You can leave a rating. You can leave a review on your favorite podcatcher of choice. There are lots of ways to help us and show your support. But whatever you do, thank you so much. We love you, and so does the universe. Are you feeling a little anxious, Uh, maybe a little achy in your body? Do you ever have trouble sleeping? If so, then CBD products might be able to help you. In case you didn't know, CBD is derived from the cannabis plant, and it has a lot of medicinal uses, but it is not the same part of the plant that gets you high. So you can experience the medicinal effects without any of the, the influence on your mental faculties or acuity. For high-quality organic and mostly vegan CBD products, I would recommend that you try Cornbread Hemp. They are a family-owned and crowdfunded business based in Kentucky here in the United States. They sell oils, gummies, and lotions, and all of their products are made with plants that they grow themselves. And they only use flour. They're not using leaves or stems, so (laughs) you know it's strong. You can go to cornbreadhemp.com and use the code PALEBLUEPOD for 25% off your order. That link is in this episode's description. That's cornbreadhemp.com with the code PALEBLUEPOD for 25% off your order. Next up, I am going to recommend a podcast for you. It's coming from the Multitude Collective, but more importantly and more directly, it is coming to you from my heart. It's the other podcast I host, this one unfortunately without Corinne. It is called ExoLore, and it's all about facts-based fictional world building. meaning how can you build and analyze worlds from movies, games, TV shows, books, or whatever, but through a lens of science and facts. In each episode, I invite a new guest to help me either build a fictional world from scratch or break down one of their favorite fictional worlds. So in the past, I have built worlds that don't orbit stars, worlds that have many moons, even worlds that are gas giants instead of a rocky planet like Earth. And I have analyzed fictional worlds from across the media spectrum. I've done books. I've done the Lord of the Rings franchise. I've done Wheel of Time. Uh, I've done both of the avatars. There's a lot there. And I have released more than 75 episodes, so you have a lot to start with if you want to look through the back catalog. New episodes of Exolore come out every other Thursday, and they are available wherever you get your podcasts, so you can choose your favorite podcatcher and listen to some nerds build and talk about fictional worlds. Again, it's X-O-Lore, Exolore, E X O L O R E, and you can find it every other Thursday. Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> oh, my God. Corinne actually found some barbecued shrimp. So we are going to munch on that and get back to the episode. Do
0: you do you want to read the ones for January to April? Yes. Oh, January to April. Okay. Some of the worst times of the year. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Um, ant- antilla. Antlia, Antlia, the air pump. Mm-hmm. What this is, is that? this is from the French.
1: This is a, another one of those tools that the the French de- designator created, and it's shortened from the the French phrase for air pump. Um, in in what context? I'm not totally sure. I'm into it. There's just there's so much history, and there's so there's so much background and context mm-hmm. to all of these, which I love. Maybe for like. Flying machines? Oh, interesting.
0: Wikipedia is unhelpful. It represents an air pump. Thanks. I'm getting inflatable air pumps, like, to blow up your soccer ball. Let's say that's what it is. Yeah. mm -hmm. One of the first inventions history had was to inflate (laughs) basketballs.
1: (laughs) I mean, the ancient Mayans did have a game that was, like, basketball and soccer and something, like, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so, and they needed
0: an electric compressor, I'm sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Canis Major, the big dog, I know that one, Mm -hmm. or I've heard of that one. Right. Karina, keel of the Argonaut ship. I love that. Ooh. Is keel the front or the or the back? I think it's the back. The main structural member and backbone of a ship or boat. Oh, so it's like the entire kind of bottom piece if you look oh, at it. Oh, cool. A, like a Google image. Oh, nice. All right. Okay. Then there's a chameleon. Great. Crater the cup. Oh. You need the one. The cup. Mm-hmm. Hydra the sea serpent. Is this yes. the one that sounds like Hydras? Yes, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Hydras. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Puppis, stern of the, <laughs> the sten- Argonaut ship.
1: Oh yes, this is uh, Puppis. This is uh, I think one of the roots is like that. It's the poop deck. It is the poop deck of oh, the ship. Oh yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Pixis, compass of the Argonaut ship. Oh wow, they really got all the parts of the ship. Yes, they do. Sextons, the sextant, mm-hmm, which is a not particularly descriptive. No, <laughs> it's a it's a navigational tool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vela, yeah. sail of the Argonaut ship. The whole ship. Ooh, like a veil. Yeah. And then Volans, the flying fish. Ooh, that's good.
1: That's good. Mm. I mean, but all, there are several fish constellations. They're all in the sky, so yeah. they're all flying. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, from April to July, you can see Apis, the bird of paradise. It's a beautiful, beautiful
0: one. Uh, There's a plant called the bird of paradise. Yeah,
1: I wonder if it's meant to
0: be the plant or the bird. I, yeah, I wonder what came first. I think it's a tropical plant, so mm-hmm. it might be abundant oh. in parts of the southern hemisphere. That'd be we'll cool. See. That'd be cool.
1: Uh, Ara, the altar, very, very religious. Mm-hmm. Centaurus, mm-hmm. but you can't guess what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's Circinus or Circinus, the compasses. There are two of them. Okay, double. Corvus, the crow. Uh, crux okay. is the Southern Cross, that makes sense, which we uh, we we've talked about before. Libra, that's a that's a zodiac sign, right? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so too, Libra is the scales. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: ba- The balancing because it's like like justice. Lupus, the wolf.
0: Mm-hmm. Love that.
1: Um, that's one of my favorite Latin roots. Yeah. Loop for wolf. <laughs> Because who doesn't have a
0: favorite Latin prefix? (laughs) I did take Latin in high school, and I remember nothing. Yeah, they did it in my program, and I was really not good at it. Mm. So I just hated that I was in the class at all. But I was the vice president of the club, of the Latin Language Club, because I founded the club. But I knew that I should not be the president, because I wasn't good enough at Latin. So I was like, okay, I'll make myself vice president and put that on the college application. I love how you were like, I hate this class. I'm going
1: to spend more time with it as exactly as an elective
0: extracurricular. And and I have no regrets. It was just an extra chance for friends, you know? Musca, the, okay. the fly.
1: Norma, the carpenter's level. So that's a, another one of the Love tools. Ophiuchus, the holder of the serpent. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a controversial new zodiac sign. So some people... We'll go oh, just with the the, the old 12. Uh, but because our, mm-hmm. our Earth's axis has processed, the, the path of the sun across the sky has shifted a little bit, and it's now starting, or it has started to pass through this 13th zodiac sign, Ophiuchus. So, you know, you can decide for yourself which of the zodiac systems you want to use. There's a Scorpius, mm-hmm. also pretty obvious, that's a scorpion. There's Triangulum Australe, which Ooh. is the Southern Triangle, and Virgo. Um, I had a choice with this translation. Uh, I chose to go with Virgo the Maiden for its, for okay. its epithet.
0: Yeah, what about, uh, um, what's next? My name, if you Google what Corinne means, it says Maiden. So oh. I identify with that one. I never liked that meaning, mm-hmm. but right now I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, July to October, we have the famous Aquarius, the water bearer. Capricornus, Capernicus, but it's an O. No, that's Capricornus. The sea goat. Capricornus. Yeah. Okay. I want to say Capernicus, but obviously that's not what it is. Corona Australis, the southern crown. Mm-hmm. Gruss. <laughs> Grus. That sounds like a Marvel guy. Gruss. The crane. I am Grus. <laughs> yes. That's like that's how it needs to be <laughs> it's said. It's just Groot. It's just <laughs> Groot. Um, Indus for India. I'm assuming. And then microscopium. <laughs> it's a microscope. Microscopium. It's a microscope. It's a microscope? It's a
1: microscope. Wait, that feels so
0: modern. Well, they were uh, designated in 1922. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm like... Some of these are so, like, kind of artful and with an imagined story. And then, yes, that's the microscope. Yeah. (laughs) And that there's a reason for that. It's because (laughs) like some of
1: them are coming from old times and some of them were just like white dudes needing to name a region
0: of the sky. That was me during improv. (laughs) Any improv was like looking around the room for an object like, oh, my (laughs) name is chair. and (laughs) Yes, that's what they were doing. So I do relate to that. Um, Octans the octant, another navigational tool. Pavo the peacock. I want to meet Pavo the peacock. Yeah. Piscus austrinus, Ooh. southern fish. Sagittarius the archer, another zodiac. Mm-hmm. Scutum or Scudum the shield. <laughs> Scutum is a funnier way to say it. I so- love <laughs> scudum. <That's right>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh geez, see if you can guess what this is. Telescopium. What? What is that? That's, that's <laughs> such a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess that's also a microscope. Mm. Just kidding. It's a telescope. Uh, and then Toucana the Toucan. Hey. Love that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. I, that's a really fun
1: one. I like all the animal ones. So yeah, the, we have just named all of the 52 southern constellations with, I'm sure, varying degrees of success on the pronunciation. But <laughs> <laughs> that's all of them. And uh, in preparation for this episode, Corinne and I have each selected five of these constellations to give awards to. Uh, and we did not tell each other yeah. ahead of time what the awards were going no. to be. So I'm excited. Um, well, I'm very excited for this. We'll alternate. Uh Karin, do you want to go first?
0: Perfect. Okay. Yes, I'll go first. I am thrilled to pronounce the Disney Award for House Object with a Personality. That goes to Fornax the <laughs> Furnace because, wow, am I picturing Beauty and the Beast. Mm. This furnace has come to life. It is smiling at me. It is helping me get out of the castle that I'm in. I'm thrilled to present... Fornax, the furnace, with this award. I hope Fornax is pleased. That's also
1: it's giving like Howl's Moving Castle the yes. the the fire <laughs> from from mm-hmm. Howl's Moving Castle. That's what I picture. Um, I would like to give my award for the biggest, the chonkiest, for the most <laughs> um, engrossing constellation in the night sky. It goes to Hydra, uh, which is, is indeed the Yay. biggest region of the night sky that the IAU has assigned. Uh, the crux, the Southern Cross, is the smallest. And so the the Southern Hemisphere can boast that it has both the biggest
0: and the smallest constellations in the sky yeah hydra feels very powerful like just there's a magnitude to it or an an epic Mm, feeling
1: mm -hmm. it it helps that hydra is one of the animals from greek mythology that i think a lot of people uh have heard of so it feels monstrous it feels legendary
0: yeah hydra's a -hmm. a big one
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we talked about this one before so i'm thrilled to bring her back Please welcome Karina, keel of the Argonaut ship, to the stage for winning the Karin Award for the (laughs) constellation that sounds most like my name. And it It does. does. It does. (laughs) And that's why it won. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: My honor, my privilege here is to uh, introduce (laughs) the award for the constellation that is the most out of place, uh, (gasps)
0: Microscopium. uh Wow. Mm-hmm. That was probably a dead heat with telescopium, well, I Well, no,
1: because uh, telescopium, while it sounds similar, is at least uh, thematically appropriate. We are looking at these stars <gasps> That's with so telescopes. True. Um, when I read, so I I have never looked at the full list of constellation names before. And when I saw microscopium, my genuine like verbatim reaction was be so fucking for real right now. Have you actually (laughs) named a constellation Microscopium? And it's not even the smallest of the constellations? Like, no. No, thank you.
0: Yeah, that is a good point. It's not... Yeah, you would expect it to be the smallest Mm -hmm. one. Like, that would be kind of a funny, cheeky name for it. Mm -hmm. But no, they're not that clever. And so I don't even want to call
1: this an award. Like, what is an anti-award? This is a shame certificate.
0: (laughs) 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 Be so fucking for real, Microscopia. And there's one shame certificate per ceremony? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, I am thrilled to give Aquarius the Water Bearer the award for sign to some of the most fun people. <laughs> I, some of my favorite friends are Aquariuses, and I love that.
1: Ooh. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I, I don't know my friends' signs. Um, I almost gave Aquarius the uh, the queerest constellation award Oh yes um, because the the backstory the myth behind Aquarius is that it is supposed to represent Ganymede who was Zeus's cup bearer so the water bearer and Ganymede was this beautiful young hopefully man. I don't want to say boy, a beautiful young man who Zeus mm-hmm. fell in love with and just sent his eagle to fetch. And so there's another constellation called Aquila, <gasps> uh, the eagle, and that is meant to be the eagle that Zeus sent to fetch Ganymede
0: away. But yeah, uh, we, we said I would before. I hate that. Right? Just the. Getting picked yeah. up by a bird? Yeah. <laughs> Take it away? Mm-hmm. No. Because you know oh, it's not you. caring
1: about your comfort. Like you are not. No. Cozy on that flight. It's Mm-mm. talons and yeah. your shoulders. i riding the bird. Yeah. The bird has. The bird is riding you. The bird's riding me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the next in line is uh, the award. For the weirdest shaped constellation. And th- <laughs> and this one goes to Eridanus, the river. Uh, there is this image that I've been staring at a lot over the last couple of days of all of the constellation regions mapped out on the night sky, but it's contorted because it's in a rectangle instead of in a three-dimensional sphere. But mm-hmm. when you can see all of the constellations together, just like looking at a, a map of the United States and all of the weird state shapes, Eridonis looks weird. Um, and it does make sense that it is yeah. the river. It's this very, lo- it gets big up top and then it has this long string that goes southward. So it does kind of look like a river. Um, it is the constellation that has the, the biggest north-south expanse of
0: all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it right now and it does look so weird. It looks like they were like, we have to name all the constellations right now <laughs> and then they were like, what should we do about all these stars? And they were like, just connect them and we're going to call it, like, the river mm-hmm. or the snake mm-hmm. or, like, whatever. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, the asterism is also is also weird. It just looks mm-hmm. like a, a kind of line that they have created. Yeah. It looks easy.
0: They were like, mm, just do it. Just do it. It's easy. Well, this brings us to the Mother Award which goes to Libra, <gasps> the scale, for being... My mother's Zodiac sign. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love that. Um, what's, it, what's it like Libra.
0: being reared by a Libra? That's such a good question. I have never been reared by a different one. Mm. So I don't know if I know the difference. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fair. We were always talking about scales and balance and (laughs) Libras. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, my mom was a
1: Pisces. And I, I, water sign. A water sign. I don't know much about astrology and I don't buy into it but she did um and from what she's told me she was very much a Pisces extremely indecisive um (laughs) not not
0: great with planning or confrontation and it showed and it showed love her to death but it showed (laughs) yeah I really don't know what any of the signs do I know almost nothing besides the names of them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I use them when it's convenient to the conversation My final award, which is the normal award, goes to Norma, the carpenters level for being the most normal name. It is congratulations, it's, that's Norma. That's a
1: name like that is a name that people have. Mm-hmm. It's the most normal name, but do you know why Norma is a is a carpenter's tool? I have no idea what a Norma is. Um, so it's it's the leveling tool. Uh, so it's meant to say if things are in a straight line, if like if they're flat, and that is because for scientists, a perpendicular line one that makes a a right angle is also called a normal
0: line normal award for tool Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) and my final award for this evening uh is the horniest constellation and that award goes to capricornus Uh, capricornus is indeed the horniest uh southern constellation it has two horns (laughs) None. Of it has the most horns of any of the southern constellations. Um, what what but was the competition? <laughs> I feel like none. There's no competition. The northern sky has uh, a unicorn and a ram, okay. but I don't think there are any other horns in the southern sky. There's a lot of fish, though. So many a fish. Lot of gills. So yeah, Capricornus is the the horniest constellation. It is my. Uh, sign. I am a Capricorn, oh, and I, I I am very much a Capricorn. Again, I don't I don't really
0: subscribe to this, but I <laughs> you could say that's <laughs> it. Whatever sign we are. Right. Sometimes I'll just read the other horoscopes, and I'm like, I think I identify with that one today.
1: No, I have I've read them, and I am a Capricorn. It's weird. <gasps> what is a Capricorn? A Capricorn is very like Type A. Um, has a plan, follows the plan, good with planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and traditionally money, but I think just, like, career and, and things like mm-hmm. that, like, they will be successful in it.
0: A Capricorn is a Ph.D. holder, astrophysicist, <laughs> <laughs> has written a book. Yep, that's me.
1: <laughs> but in mythology, the Capricorn is a sea goat. It is a uh, fish from, like, the waist down and then goat from the waist up, so it has the horns, and the story behind it is that the— it's. Sometimes the god Pan, but sometimes uh, a different figure like Pan's father. Um, but the god Pan was this nature deity, and one mm-hmm. day it was running away from a, a titan or, or from a like a sea monster. And it, I don't know why it would jump into the sea if it was running away from a sea monster, but it, jump, it jumps into the sea <laughs> and tries to turn into a fish, but is only half successful. And so Pan uh, it becomes the Capricorn.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I hate to see that it was unsuccessful. I'm half successful. And, yeah, th- and that's it's true. the
1: important part because it, it got the part of the fish that lets it project itself through the water. It got the fin. So oh.
0: it's good. Okay, look. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think much, much better that way than fish. Than the front half. Yeah, fish and front. human legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or goat, goat <laughs> legs. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, you don't want that. You don't want the goat back. Mm-hmm. Thus concludes our award show for this evening, but we do have another one coming up next week, so be sure to come back and hear all about the constellations in the northern sky, but um, right now, I think our our show is about to start, and I do not Mm -hmm.
0: want to miss a single sing screamed word. Yeah, I need to see every word, see every word of the opera, (laughs) that's what I meant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so until next time folks, remember that you our space.
0: Bye.
1: Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton.
0: Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions.
1: If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like
0: it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye.